Welcome to another amazing episode of the Pace and Freedom Podcast. I am your host, James Pace. And on today's episode, I have County Mayor of Trousdale County, Tennessee, Mr. Stevens Chambers, and he happens to be a libertarian. But before we jump into our amazing conversation about serving in government as a libertarian, I want to talk about flip-flops. You got to check out my friends at Combat Flip-Flops. These guys are a shining example of entrepreneurship in America, and their products are an unarmed force for good. Check out their lines of flip-flops like the Flopperator or the AK-47. There are flip-flops for men and women. Combat Flip-Flops is a military veteran owned, and you can get discounts on many of their products by clicking on the link in the description of this show. Now, without further delay, I'd like to give our very special guest, Mayor Stephen Chambers, the opportunity to give us his introduction. Go ahead, Stephen. Well, I'm Stephen Chambers. I'm the mayor of Hartsville, Trousdale County, Tennessee. We are one of only three metropolitan governments in Tennessee. Uh, we actually used to be the smallest, we are the smallest county in Tennessee in terms of land size, and we used to be second to smallest in terms of population, but now I think we're sixth from the bottom, so we've moved up a little bit. But uh, we are a very small uh, government and county in Tennessee, and uh, just I'm, I'm the only libertarian mayor in Tennessee, so that's kind of interesting. And uh, I'm just here to answer or talk about anything you want to talk about, and hopefully somebody will find it enlightening. As you said, you're like the only mayor in Tennessee of a metropolitan county. And as you and I talked a little bit before uh, we started recording, we hear about Jeff Hewitt, who's a county supervisor here in California, and we hear him as the, you know, the highest ranking official, libertarian official that has been elected. But I would consider you the most highest ranking, considering that you're the mayor of a whole metropolitan county. And we hear about what it would be like if we did have somebody like you in office. What has the uh, experience been? And how long have you been mayor of Trousdale County? I've been mayor since September 1st, 2018. So I've, I've not been here too much over what, about a year and a half. So and been, what has the experience been like? In some ways, it's been very eye-opening. I'd had some experience in uh, helping a state representative beforehand, and I've I'm, a, I'm an attorney, so I did have some experience with government beforehand. So there's some things that haven't surprised me, but there's been other areas that, that really do surprise you, especially some of the things that uh, the citizens think the mayor can do and don't realize that you don't have that authority or that power to do so. So uh, I think we had one woman want me to send the public works department out to her house to fix her cable. And I had to explain to her that we can't do that. So. <laughs> So some of the requests you get are kind of surprising, but uh, one of the things that's really surprising is just how little some people that interact with government really understand how it how it functions. So that's been kind of surprising. Yeah, it always surprises me as well when I talk to people and they talk about elections. We focus so much on the executive offices, right? Mayors and presidents, governors, and they they expect the people expect so much from these offices and don't realize that they don't have the overall power. First off, the citizen is the one with all the power and but they just put all this expectation on the executive branch of whatever form of government and don't realize that there's so much other stuff going on. There's the legislative branch, there's a, the judiciary branch and any uh, form of government. I think that in some smaller community governments, some of them overlap, but it's not the way we run government here, at least in the United States. We don't have this overall 
overpowering entity that is supposed to be in control of everything. And it's what is expected of people nowadays, especially when we talk about the presidential uh, um, office uh, of the of the federal government. We say, oh, well, Trump is going to do this and Trump is going to do that. Or Bernie Sanders is going to go do this and Bernie Sanders will take care of this. And it's like, well, they have to go through legislation first. Yeah. What Again, that's one of those things that you know, people don't understand. And it's really unique being one of the three metropolitan governments in Tennessee and not being Nashville, Davidson County, which has a charter that lays out ungodly amounts of detail. Ours is very kind of generic and doesn't really give you a lot of detail. So you fall back on state statute and there's areas where, you know, the mayor is really uh, has a defined area that you can work in under the charter and state law. And like you said, a lot of people think, that, well, the mayor controls everything. Well, no, I don't. Uh, I can't pass any ordinances. That's the county commission. That's our local legislative body. They're the ones that pass the ordinances. Um, I can suggest um, legislation. I can point out things we need to do different. And I have submitted things to the county commission that's been passed. And uh, one of the things we're working on is trying to really just update all our all our policies. Uh, they haven't been updated in well, who knows? When. I mean, some of them have been updated recently, but some of them have been kept up with changes in state and federal law. And then other areas such as our ordinances themselves, once we went metropolitan, there was no real keeping up with it and incorporating the new ordinances that were passed into our code. And so now you've got a written code that's there with a book, but all these other ordinances that are like floating out in the space. And until you find them, you don't know that something in the code is being overwritten by an ordinance that was passed later. So that's been right. very interesting in dealing with that. But like you said, a lot of people think the mayor just has this unlimited authority, and I don't. And one of the things I have to explain to people is that our other elected officials, such as trustee, register of deeds, property assessors, things like that, they actually run their office. I do not. The only, the only say I have over their office is if I think they're committing fraud or waste or when it comes budget time and they submit a budget to me and they'll ask me my thoughts. But other than that, I don't control that. Just like I don't control our highway department and I don't control our sheriff's department. So there's a lot of things that I don't control that people think I do. And it's it's really, once you sit down and explain it to them and show them how it works, they, they get it and they understand why it is that way and why you would want to have those separations there. But until you kind of go through it with them, they think I run everything and I have to explain to them, no, I don't. So that, that's right. been interesting to, to see. Did you find that, you know, for yourself as well, that there's a lot of things that you don't have control over once you were elected or you pretty much had a good idea of what you were allowed to do and not allowed to do. I had a good idea from the overall. I kind of had a good idea of what I was allowed to do, what I wasn't allowed to do. There are some small things here and there that, um, you know, you don't realize you can or can't do until you actually get in there and start asking questions. But I came in not wanting to be the bull in a china shop. I wanted to come in and really learn what I was doing before I started to do, you know, a lot of changes. I wanted to make sure that what I was doing is actually even legal. So right. that's, like I said, that's been kind of eye opening some of those things, but there's just been really small things here and there. It's not been anything major that I found out I couldn't do. Uh, this COVID-19 has kind of thrown us all a curveball because there's not real under the state statutes when you did do state, uh, like states of emergency or what the mayor's emergency response powers are, it's really kind of vague, and uh, especially when it comes to epidemic or pandemic. And uh, the reason is we haven't seen one for so long. But 
So that's really been, and it's not just been here in Trousdale County or Hartsville, Trousdale County. It's been all across the state. Everybody's trying to figure out exactly what we can do and what we can't do. So, and we're still, still finding out what we can and can't do. So that's been a great deal of discussion here regards to, you know, states of emergency, uh, stay at home orders. Do you have the authority to do it? Do you not have the authority to do it? Okay. How's it enforced? So that's, that's been a very eye opening experience to be on on kind of behind the curtain on that aspect and seeing those discussions going on and realizing that there's no real set ideas. Everybody's kind of doing this for the first time. Right. You know, and because you brought it up, I, you know, I kind of, I went into your, your uh, county's website and I was out of curiosity, you know, I wanted to see what, how were you guys doing in this whole pandemic and what were you guys doing? And I feel that the the direction that you've taken on this is way better than a lot of the counties throughout the country or a lot, you know, even at the state level. And it feels like you're actually putting power into the people to make a lot of these decisions of how to handle this pandemic. What more can you tell us about that? And has that been a uh, tribute to the low numbers, lower numbers compared to other counties uh i don't know that's contributed to the low numbers i think just being that we are a very small county we don't have a lot of population density really in tennessee if you look at where you're seeing those those huge numbers you've gotten more developed areas and it's there's people closer together so i think that's why you're seeing more transmission there and a lot of them just have more people in general but i think the population density here is really helping us out and we do have, I mean, all of our local businesses have done what's been asked of them. They're all complying with CDC guidelines. All the restaurants are doing either takeout or delivery or uh, drive through. So everybody, as far as the businesses here, have been very cooperative. Uh, so that that really made it easy on me. There was no, you know, real having to push. Once you informed them and educated them as to why it was this way, everybody agreed to do so voluntarily. So that's been very good, very helpful. Uh, but the, the approach I took was that, Looking at these things uh, and looking at the statutes, especially when it comes to like a shelter in place order or something like that, I don't, in my estimation, I don't have the authority to do that. And so I'm not going to do it. I did recently issue a state of emergency for the county, but the really the impetus behind that is it makes it easier for us to get state or federal aid if we do have an explosive need here in the county. And it also frees up some purchasing requirements under the law. It makes it easier to purchase emergency equipment or things like that for emergency services. But um, right. for the most part, there's been, I mean, like I said, all the businesses have complied. And even if I were to do or decide to do a, a shelter at home order, which, again, I wouldn't do that because I don't think I have the authority. If you look at the guidance from the federal government, and what's deemed essential services, we're such a small county. Most of our things are already essential. There's only one or two manufacturing businesses here that it would even apply to. Other Everything else, such as grocery stores, gas stations, all that stuff where people are really congregating together, are pretty much exempt under that because they're essential. People got to have food. They got to be able to get, you know, drinks, those kind of things. So they've got to have access to my office or the trustee or anything like that. So like the vast majority of things in the county would stay open. So just declaring a shelter in place would really not even be worth the papers written on. So why do it? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and do you see it as these higher dense cities? Is it necessary for them, though, to enforce these shelter in place uh, laws because they're bigger? Or do you think if it, it doesn't matter, regardless of the density, if you just give the people the option to do the right thing, 
you know, most likely they'll do it. I think for the most part, people are going to go along with it. I mean, we've got in the, I don't know how it is in California where you are, but I think uh, here I've seen, you got these polar opposites. You've got people who just think it's overblown and they're not going to abide by it, but you've got everybody in this other group of people who are staying in their house and doing everything they're supposed to. And I think the group that thinks it's not a big deal has gotten smaller and smaller. So I think you are getting more cooperation with it. So, uh, but as far as like Nashville and everything having to do these restrictive orders, well, it wasn't in Nashville. A lot of you keep seeing on these news reports where the mayor did this and the mayor did that. No, actually the board of health did that. It wasn't the mayor that did it. It was the board of health that issued these, uh, these orders and directives. Right. Uh, was it necessary? They were having a huge explosion, and uh, I think it was good direction. And I think a lot of people, as I said, I think a lot of people just comply voluntarily because they don't want to get this virus. They don't want to take it to their their friends and families, especially the ones that are already are immunocompromised or you know fall under these high risk categories. So uh, I, again, I don't want to look at another county and tell them they're doing it right or wrong or anything like this because everybody right. eat, but. I do think there was a there was going to be a high level of voluntary compliance. Everything I've seen on news reports and what I've seen online is there was initial hesitancy from some of the businesses, especially in the highest tourist area in downtown Nashville. But even they kind of got on board with it and saw why you had the social distancing. So I think a lot of those businesses were already going to comply anyway. Exactly. And, you know, I get into these discussions all the time with with people lately about all of this and with the pandemic and these um, restrictive orders. And it's gotten to the point, you know, where I don't know where people are getting necessarily the information. Maybe I'm getting my information from different places than they are. But as you said, I don't really see people not uh, cooperating and not collaborating. Everybody that I know personally, regardless of where they're at in the political spectrum, left, right, libertarian, have been very cooperative in trying to stay home when they can, you know, if they're essential personnel, they go to work and we're not having these huge gatherings. Even the libertarian party here in San Diego has decided to, you know, on their own to do the, the, the meetings online uh, remotely and without having to be told to getting people where they're to the point. It's like, Oh my gosh, it's so scary. There's so many people falling uh, ill. There's so many people dying. We need to, the government to issue, you know, martial law, essentially, you know, it's like, well, where are you getting this from? Where are you getting that? We need government to um, forcefully restrict people from doing the right thing or, or not doing the right thing, whatever the case may be, when you're at home, aren't you? So what are you worried about? Yeah, I think, as I said, I think if even if I look here in Trousdale County, we had an issue with some people being at the park. But even if you looked at their their numbers, they're actually a very, very small percentage of the population. Most everybody else is doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, right. and, and some of these people, uh, I think if they just knew more about it, that's one of the things that I, I've tried to explain to people. And I think maybe sometimes I've gone a little bit too detailed and kind of scared some people and that wasn't my intention. I was trying to inform them what, as far as what I can tell, looking at the CDC and other uh, resources that are available online looking at it. I was just trying to keep them informed as to what this is. When you really get into the statistics of it, you know, it scares some people and they're already, like I said, already doing what they should do anyway to try to, as 
you know, protect themselves and their families and whatnot. So I think you, like I said, I think you were going to see that voluntary compliance just out of self-preservation or preservation for their loved ones. I think you were going to see that anyway, but you've got a small, a small subset of people who just either feel they're invincible or just doesn't, I think it's overblown, but I think as we get further and further into it, and unfortunately, I think as we see more and more cases, especially in our area, even though we're all small, we went from zero on Saturday to now we're up to five, and we've had, unfortunately, one one person who had it uh, passed away earlier today. I think you will see that kind of set in, that this is kind of a serious matter, and we de- right. need to be treating it such. So I do think you're going to see a lot of voluntary compliance, and it's it's when you get in that enforcement side, even here in the state. I mean, I know there's a lot of people, especially doctors, are wanting the governor here to declare a safer at home. But even if you get into that level, again, people have to go out and get food. They have to get these things. You can't declare, like you said, a martial law and you can't have your state troopers or your police department come in like they're a Gestapo and shut everything down. It's not going to work. I mean, if you look right. at here in Trousdale County, we have. We have 11,012 according to the last census estimate, but that includes about 25 to 2,600 people in a state, actually a private prison here in the county. You take those out, we're about 85 to 8,600. If you've got 85 to 8,600 people against 18 deputies, and that's the entire police department, that doesn't include, you know, breaking them down into shifts. Those numbers don't work out for you enforcement wise. You're going to need a lot of voluntary compliance. And a lot of people have. They've voluntarily done so. The banks are doing rotations on their their shifts as required or asked by the CDC. A lot of people are already doing what they're supposed to do once they figured out and saw what it was and learned more about it and really understood those that guidance that was out there. A lot of them have already voluntarily complied anyway. Exactly. I think people need to, I try to, to educate people as much as possible as I'm not, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not educating people necessarily on the COVID-19, but just based off of information that we have, we look at some of the countries that have lower cases than, than others, and we see what they do. They started being transparent about what was going on with the virus way sooner than we have here in the United States and a lot of the um, you know different entities, government entities. And We've seen as soon as they educated their people about what this is and what it could become, you know, you saw a lot of more people voluntarily um, doing what they're supposed to do. And a perfect example that I read is uh, Taiwan, where government from the very beginning said, hey, this is a very contagious uh, disease. You know, we asked for people to increase their hygiene customs of, you know, washing your hands every time going in and out somewhere, wash your face, you know, stay clean, and practice social distancing. And we've seen numbers very low in Taiwan. So I think if you just are transparent with people and let them know what's going on, they'll they'll know, and without putting them into panic as well. I think panic has been a, a big driver in this country with how many cases we've had because when you put people into panic, I feel like they become illogical, as we've seen with the way people started panic shopping. Did you see a lot of that in your county, or was it pretty uh, normal? Actually, the it stayed pretty well stocked. Our grocery stores did. You know, you did see there a little bit, and you still see now that there's some of the shelves are bare, but that's just based on, you know, people, even let's take my 
my parents, they've went out to the grocery store recently, but they bought what they needed, and most people are. But even if you have, like I said, 8,600 people, even just a small fraction of them come into your grocery store, you're still going to run low on uh, on your food and all this kind of stuff. But so far, talking to grocery stores here, they're not really having, they don't have, there's not a supply chain issue. They're getting restocked every night. It's just, you do have people come in. I don't think it's to the level of doing hoarding. It's just people responding and needing supplies. And it's just the, the number of them wanting it is just more than the, can be restocked right now. That's kind of what we're seeing. And, but most people are kind of taking what they need and not hoarding it. So that's been very good to see. Um, so, yeah, that's just been, you hear different stories in different places, but here I, I've really been kind of, I, I hate to use proud because that sounds kind of, <laughs> I don't sound that way, but, you know, you, you are proud of how your your community is reacting to it. And I've been very proud of, of Trousdale County and how they've reacted and how I think they will continue to react and, and face it the challenges as we go forward i think they're we're going to do i think we're going to do really well uh unfortunately we're i think we are going to have more cases show up just seeing how contagious this is and especially when it's, by the time you get one test positive well that could have been you know getting the results back as days so you could already have spread before that and i think right now you're seeing a lot of positives because that's already been spread and that's why, you know, if the social distancing, it's going to take time. I think we will see that that flatten that curve a little bit, but it's just going to take a lot longer than people thought. Just looking at, as you said, talked about Taiwan, or if you look at other count, count countries that have really put those measures in place and been more strict on it, you still took two months before you saw that curve starting to flatten out. Right. So if you're thinking eight weeks and here in Tennessee, we're now two to three weeks into it, we've got a little ways to go. <laughs> but I, I do think, People are doing what they're asked to do, and I think you will see that flattened out. I just think we're going to have to go through a little bit more of adversity before we see that happen. Right. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned adversity. I think we, we become stronger after um, adversity, and I think we will reach a new, you know, we talked about this on my last episode a little bit about a new normal, and I think we've learned a lot from this pandemic of kind of different ways that we can do things that might be more beneficial. Listen, for example, the working from home, there's no need for you to be in at a actual office. You can work from home and that saves money for the company. And we'll probably see a lot more of that now. Hygiene practices, I think, is going to change probably after this. I think people are going to be a lot more clean, um, at least for a while uh, after this. So. Yeah, and I was talking to my wife the other day, and I've talked to some other people, and we're all kind of agreement. We're kind of looking at it, going wondering what kind of changes in society you're going to see after this. You know, after let's say two months of you know eating at home and doing all this stuff, and like you said, businesses letting people work remotely. Well, if they've let them work remotely now, and they've already built that infrastructure in place, they may look at it and say, "Well, it was actually more cost." effective for us to let them work from home versus be here where we got to have, you know, electricity run the, the HVAC system and lighting and power their laptops or whatnot. So I do think you're going to see changes going forward, exactly what those are going to be. I think you might see more work at home since a lot of the infrastructure will be in place. But other than that, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, and I hate to sound like I'm floating above everything and looking at it 
from that perspective, but it is going to be interesting to see those changes that are put in place just in everyday life based on what we've seen. And I think if you talk to, you know, when I was younger, you could hear your grandparents talk about, you know, the Great Depression or something like that and really hear how it changed, how everybody saw life or how they just saw everyday um, things that they've done. It's I think it's going to be interesting and just based on it's all going to determine how long how long this takes to get over it. So absolutely. And so I, go I, ahead. I back on that, when you were talking about the website and transparency, one of the things we've really tried to do is just be as transparent as we can. Uh, we actually were working on, had been working on that website and we went ahead and it wasn't completely done. We went ahead and launched it because we knew that could be a good uh, vehicle to put information out there. And we've tried to keep it as up to date as we can. I actually updated it a little bit earlier today. And uh, we've done, I've done some videos uh, posted on there, a couple of them with my emergency management director trying to inform people of, you know, what the, generally what the coronavirus is and what you need to do to protect yourself and your family. So that's been a really good vehicle. And we've also uh, been using uh, Facebook pages. I have a page as the, the mayor that I've been updating pretty regularly. We have a county Facebook page. And we also created a county YouTube channel where we're posting the videos on there as well. So like I said, we're trying to be as transparent as we can. It's just sometimes things change so fast. You just, it's really difficult trying to keep up with it. Right. And I think that's a, a great vehicle to, um, to distribute information nowadays and age. I don't know, you know, I remember I worked for this company and we, and our, a lot of our customers were a senior, were more of the senior population. Um, between sixties and seventies. And, you know, we would try to put out more technology, more ways for, uh, for them to be able to communicate with us. And a lot of people were like, well, you're, you're putting this out to senior people. They don't understand how to use this technology. And, uh, you know, it was a little slow in the beginning, but after a while you do see that it was more beneficial for a lot of these more senior uh, citizens to use this technology because they didn't have to go out and come and visit us at our office and um, expose themselves when they they're the most vulnerable. And I think now even better with this pandemic going on, I think it's probably working out for them a lot better. I don't work for that company anymore, but I can only imagine how much uh, since we've put in that infrastructure already before this happened, I'm sure it's like um, making things a lot easier. So I think for the future, this is going to be great. Yeah, I'd, I'd say you're right. I mean, I've already, we have a senior citizen center here and I go down there sometimes because I'm on their board and we were having a meeting and they would talk about something here and one of them say, well, just YouTube it. So that was I think you're you're right. You are going to see. I think that might be something that comes out of it. You see more adoption of that technology and really understanding what it can do. I mean, we're doing that here on the county level. We've been going through trial runs and doing online meetings because we couldn't do that under state law. But the governor kind of passed an executive order allowing the county governments and the city governments to have online meetings. We still have to meet notification requirements and give access to the public and whatnot. So we've been running through systems trying to see which one was the best. And I think we're settled on Zoom. We're going to try to do that. And I called a special meeting for April 7th to try to do some emergency changes to our personnel policy to make it more flexible to respond to the 
COVID-19 because that's been a real, it's, it's hampered some of our response as far as personnel issues right now. So, and that's right. going to be done online. So that's going to be a real interesting experience. I think it's going to work out really well. It's just trying to get everybody comfortable with it and really see how it works and what was the best platform. Right. So I just want to take a quick moment to mention St. Sebastian's Archery Company. If you're a sports archer who finds solitude at the range, the avid hunter who enjoys bows that carry a historical tone, or the the bow collector, my friend and fellow veteran has what you need at St. Sebastian's Archery Company. Look him up on Facebook. The link will be provided in the description below. And don't forget to mention Pace and Freedom to get an exclusive discount on handcrafted bows, arrows, and wooden spoons from the natural woods of Arkansas. So I want to go back to talking about um, you being a libertarian and being a mayor. And, you know, I know when I ran for city council here in San Diego, even though it was a uh, non uh, partisanship uh, office, meaning that we weren't supposed to be sponsored by any party um, or be part of a party. It was uh, simply you're a city councilman. A lot of people would ask the candidates, what party are you registered with? And we all know that those parties would fund them at some capacity to run their campaigns. And here in San Diego, the Libertarian Party just does not have that funding to help me run my campaign. And when I would mention that I was a libertarian because it would be asked, you know, I was pretty much not even a contender. How was that for you as a as mayor? Like, did you is it a, a partisanship office where there is a um, a party affiliation with that office? Or how did that work for you? Uh, no, all of our elected uh, local officials, it's nonpartisan. And uh, our the even if we have county parties, you know, like Republican or Democrat, they really don't get that involved in the local races, uh, at least not that I've seen too heavily. Uh, so that that part was not that big an issue because, like I said, they, they didn't really get involved in it. Uh, I did have probably only about six people while I was running was asking me if you're a Republican or Democrat. Most of them ask you what you thought of Trump. <laughs> you got that. <laughs> uh, and I did have people when they asked me, they would ask me, well, you know, are you a Republican or Democrat? And I'd tell them I'm a libertarian. And some of them kind of look at you because they didn't know what that was. And you explain it to some of them and they just like, oh, no, okay. Uh, so, but that, that even in the grand scheme of things, that really didn't come up that very much. Most of what they ask you is, well, what was my plans for the county or what was my thoughts about things? And I tried to just do my short little, you know, 30, 40 second spiel. And then I'd really ask them what was important to them. What did they want to talk about? And then once they responded, you could really see what their issues were and then kind of talk about what our solutions to it could be or what our thoughts on it are. And most of them surprisingly were very receptive. And I mean, I had a lot of I actually had to keep ordering signs and it kept, that's why my campaign cost about twice more than I thought it would. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, another mistake I made, if anybody's listening, do not get three colored signs, only get a single colored sign. Do not make that mistake that I did. That's what made right. it. But, uh, <clears throat> but so from that perspective, it really wasn't that difficult. And I understand, and I've talked to other people in places here in the state and I understand that it's not, 
it's not that way other places. So I think it's just very fortunate. I think it had a unique cir- set of circumstances here that just really allowed me to win because I did I didn't expect to win. I don't have a lot of family here, and this the, the incumbent I beat has a lot of family, and so it, it kind of surprised me. I think I was just as surprised on election night as everybody else was. <laughs> and what uh, you know, we again I, we talk about. You know, what would it be like if we had people in in higher offices, even in the community level, local level, uh, to have a libertarian in office? And what kind of changes do you think that your constituents, uh, your citizens have seen in comparison to kind of the more traditional uh, Republican Democrat? Well, I've tried to be very open and transparent, and that's something that I'm starting to see across the state a lot more mayors and everything are starting to embrace the the online platforms and really, really increase transparency. I started streaming the county commission meetings using my phone or my Surface Pro, which I'm talking to you on now, and we're streaming it to Facebook as much as I could. Facebook didn't always want to cooperate, so it didn't always work. But a lot of people, when I first started doing it, especially some of the county commissioners, will say, well, nobody's going to watch that. Yet I've had videos that have gotten between two to 3,000 views. And mm-hmm. uh, I've actually had mayors in other counties tell me that their citizens are watching it. So that's, I think that's been something that, you know, obviously they've never seen before. And uh, I think another thing they've probably not seen before is I say no a lot, especially when it comes to, well, government doing this or government doing that, or the mayor should do this and the mayor should do that. And I, I say no. And when I explain to them why, most everybody seems to be receptive to it or understands why it is that way. And, uh, also here in Tennessee, I don't know how it is in place in other states or other counties uh, here in Tennessee, the mayor can be the chairman of the county commission. And I did have some people kind of in a roundabout way ask me if I wanted to be chairman of the county commission. And I would tell them no, because I think, you know, we have three branches of government. That's how our system works. And I think the, the mayor ought to be able to be called in front of the county commission to ask answer questions and just like anybody else should. So I, I didn't think that was a good idea. And so I would just, you know, try to phrase it in those those words and say, no, I, I think the county commission needs to elect a chairman from its, its own membership to keep right. that separation there. And I think a lot of people, once you explained it to them, really, really seemed to appreciate that and really understood it. And, and they agreed. And that's something they thought would be a real good thing to keep that separation there. Um, some other things is probably... I've, I've tried to make things get it up to as up to date as we can. I've tried to do it as efficiently as we can. Now there were some things just due to budgetary restrictions. When I came into office, we had uh, a, a landfill. We had to do a remediation project on, which the initial estimate was six hundred forty-four thousand dollars, and six hundred forty-four thousand dollars to a county of about eighty-six hundred taxpayers. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Yeah. And then we had another project that's called a streetscape. It's basically they come down in and redo your sidewalks and do beautification in your downtown area. That was about 180000 And then we had a fire truck that they had ordered a couple of years ago. It's about 285000 Well, instead of putting the money aside in a, in a capital improvement fund and letting it sit there until it came up, it wasn't there. So we had to take that out of our, our fund balance and really take that up. So some of the things I was wanting to do as far as technology wise, we had to use that money on other things. However, we didn't have to raise taxes and we didn't have to take on debt. We found ways to move pennies around and cut things here and there so that we could do that without, like I said, raising taxes or taking on any new debt. So right. I was 
really happy we got through that part of it. Now, I don't know what the future is going to hold. We were looking pretty good up until the, you know, the pandemic hit. And now it, we really don't know how to forecast what the economy is going to be. Um, right. You know, I've heard things earlier today saying you're going to see 15% unemployment. Well, we're already looking at maybe losing sales tax. And unfortunately, being a small county as we are, we don't have a lot of industry. So we're very heavily reliant on residential property taxes. And I've told people we've had a, a town hall here to talk about, you know, maybe a new will tax or maybe increasing the sales tax. And obviously some people were not very receptive to it. There's actually a gentleman there who I'd say he, he was more of a narco, more of a, maybe a narco capitalist. He's a little bit more hardcore. <laughs> than him. And right. I tried, you know, I, I explained to him, look, I don't see, the public or you all as a piggy bank to be tapped when we need more money. If, if we're going to do this, it's because we have no alternative and it's going to be voted on by the public anyway. Right. This is an informational thing. And once they finally asked somebody, finally asked me my opinion at the second meeting, uh, one of the things we were looking at was a new County jail. And they asked me, do I think we needed a wheel tax now? Well, we're at the very beginning stages of this. We don't even know what we're looking at yet. So I think looking at a wheel tax now is a little bit premature. Right. So I, I I hope that some things people have seen and I try to be just as open and honest as I can. And even though I don't agree with some state laws or some things like that, I try to abide by them and everybody seems to really respect that. And I try to explain to them when they want to know, well, how can we change it? Well, you got to either if it's a county ordinance, you got to talk to your county commissioner. I would tell them how they do, how they go about that. I've explained to some people that want to propose legislation, how they would need to go through that process, how that would work. And they seem to be very appreciative of it. When you explain to them how the system works, they, you know, they usually leave with a smile on their face and thank you for taking the time to explain it to them. So I think that's something that hopefully people have been, have really liked. And I've, I've tried to do that. And even if I get down here in a couple of years and they decide they, I don't need the job anymore, that hopefully they still have some thought that maybe they appreciate the way I did things. Right. You know, I, I just would think it would be so amazing for, you know, what if the federal government, what if your state government was as transparent as you're making your county, you know, how much more accountability there would be on money, on the economy, on just the corruption in general of government. You know, and we already see this. There's a lot of, as you said, counties that are trying to embrace this more transparent using technology. And I've seen it where it actually bites them in the butt as far as, you know, they they get caught doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. A perfect example was uh, a county in Florida. I don't know if you've seen it. I forgot the name of of the, the city or county. I actually emailed them and asked them if they wanted to be on the podcast to talk more about it. But in a, you know, they were, they had their uh, commission meeting on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live and things came about, you know, came to light that people did not like and are now trying to hold the mayor accountable for it. Is this the video where one of the, I think is a city, was it an alderman or city councilor or something like yeah, that? Yeah, city councilor. Yeah. And yeah, he uh, kind of goes yeah. off. The, the I guess the mayor's running the meeting is telling her she doesn't have the authority to do this and that and it gets really heated and she yep. kind of says meetings over or meetings adjourned for a short while or something right <laughs> my wife found that online and showed it to me and I was watching it and I was just kind of 
uh, I don't want to say dumbfounded. That's probably not the right word, but I mean, I can understand his frustration. And if, if I were to do something like that, if somebody wanted to get mad at me, I could completely understand. I mean, I've made a couple of mistakes here and there, and I've tried to, you know, let people know, hey, I thought it was this way and it turned out to be another way. I apologize and I've tried to do what I can. And most people so far seem to accept that and understand, hey, mistakes are made because it's, a lot of this stuff's new territory for people. Right. But uh, no, and that's, you know, again, I think if you've got, and this is from my perspective, I don't want to say other oh, mayors need to do this. It's just me personally, my perspective. I like that separation of your your government. I like that separation between your branches of government. I think that the legislative branch is there because they represent more directly the will of the people and the executive branch ought to be able to be called in front of them and, you know, answer questions and whatnot and be examined just like anybody else. And uh, so that's one of the reasons why I don't want to be county commission chairman. And I do think that, you know, as you said, you try to make it that as representative of the people as you can. And that's why I try to be as open and honest as I can. If people ask me a question, even if I don't agree with what it is they're trying to do, if they ask me how they do it, I tell them as far as how the process works. And I don't try to influence my county commissioners, which probably makes me a bad politician, but that's, I don't, I don't talk to them outside of meetings. If they ask me a question, most of the time they're asking me to explain something in more detail or, they're not asking my opinion and I don't give it to them. I, I explain to it how, if it's a proposal for something, I explain to it how it works, or if it's a state law, how it works. I don't give them my opinion unless they specifically ask for it. And most of them seem to really appreciate that because I'm not trying to browbeat them into going, doing things my way. I'm not trying to, you know, force anything down, down their throats and get it done my way. I just say, here's what I think we need to, you know, I'll propose something to them if that's what it is or, if they've got a question about, hey, I wanted to propose this, how do I go about it? I try to be as open and honest as I can and try to explain things to people, whether they're in one of the county commissioners or just a citizen that comes in and wants to ask me a question. And that's, I think, so far I've had really good response to that. There's only been one or two people that's left my office mad, and that's because they were <laughs> mad at another official and didn't get what they wanted from me. Right. So as a as a libertarian and you know, operating as a mayor, do you see that uh, that people are more curious now on what the libertarian movement is, or is it? Do they still kind of have that expectation of uh, they feel that they need more government? It, it kind of really depends on what group of people you talk to. One of the things I've seen is there are a lot of people who think that there ought to be a lot of government involvement. Uh, and one of the things dealing with is, especially when you get to like dealing with the homeless population, which thankfully we do have some, but we don't have a large amount. And people say, well, the government ought to do this and the government ought to do this. And really how it works here in, in Tennessee for a lot of counties is they have, whether it's the room in the end program or there's other religious organizations or other just civic organizations, they really are the ones that deal with that issue. It's not really government here. Um, so there are some people who think, well, they ought to do this. You know, the government ought to do this. When you explain to them why I think it shouldn't or why that would be a very bad idea, you know, sometimes you get people to agree with it and sometimes you don't. Um, 
if it comes to things that they really value or things that they want to do, you find that they are probably more libertarian than you are and I are. They just don't want you to say anything and get out of their way. But when it comes to things that they think other people ought to do, well, then that, that doesn't seem to apply. Right. But I do think in talking, even people in our local government, I think more of them are, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're libertarian, but I do think they, they do value the civil liberties and whatnot a lot more than probably I would have initially thought. And they, they don't want to, you know, tax them to pay for all these other things and all these other programs. They want you to kind of keep it to the, the bare necessities as it is. And right. so I, I, I've really been surprised from that respect, but they just will not identify as libertarian. And most of them don't even know what that is. Right. But where I see you lose them is when you start talking about, in the past, I think it's kind of changing now. When you really, st- when you talk to them about drugs and the war on drugs and this kind of thing, and that's where you really start losing some of them. But when you kind of explain to them, well, look at prohibition. How'd that really work out? I mean, you got Al Capone and the Purple Gang and Lucha right. in New York. And, you know, the, the Valentine's Day massacre was because of prohibition because they were fighting over territory. And we've, we've outlawed these drugs and now we've got MS 13 and all these gangs that why, because they're fighting over territory to sell the illegal drugs, which I think if you could legalize all that stuff, you might see a decline in violence. You might see a decline in, you know, overdose deaths. You might see all these things and, and really dealing with uh, looking at nonviolent drug offenders in our local jails and whatnot. uh, As I've talked to my local sheriff about this. He's he's very supportive of trying to get things into the jail, and he thinks maybe we are have went a little bit too far on the incarceration side. And I've really been surprised in some of the meetings I went to dealing with our jail population, which, like other places, has exploded. Right. A lot of the sheriffs and even the other county officials and mayors and all this stuff have gotten to the point where they say we can't keep locking people up. We're we're something we're doing is not working. We've got to change things, and we're starting to see more programs to get people into rehab and still stick them into a jail cell. And also the realization that some of these people that you're picking up for a drug offense are taking the drug because they're self-medicating because they got an underlying mental health condition. You start right. recognition of that and then trying to get them the help they need. And the, the thought has really started to sink in that a jail cell is not the best place for somebody who has an underlying mental health condition or an undiagnosed mental health condition that you see that quite a lot. But also these people who, you know, if you put them in jail, if they had a job, now they lost it because they're sitting in jail. And now they've gotten on this revolving treadmill that they get out. They can't get a job because now they've got possibly a criminal conviction. And if you're a very remote rural county like we are, we don't have any public transportation. So now they don't have a driver's license or something like this. So they can't get a job. And now they end up back in jail because they couldn't pay their fines or fees and this kind of thing. So. I think everybody's starting to realize we can't keep going down that road. We've got to do something different. We are starting right. to see more uh, work release programs that will have, they would actually have go to work at a job. They earn an income that goes into an account that pays off all their fines and fees. And then some of them are even leaving jail with money in the bank that they never had before. Right. Some places are setting up, you know, housing or transitional housing. They want to get out of jail. There's this transitional housing, housing they go into, and that's working with landlords to get them to agree to it. But really, this this realization that we've got to do things different, we've got to do more of, instead of being a, a punishment, it's got to be more of a kind of rehabilitation, or at least if, if you want to go back to, I think, maybe in the early 1900s, where you had this discussion of, is it going to be a rehabilitation? Is it going to be punishment? 
I think a lot of people realize we went down the punishment road too much and it's not working right. back towards the, the rehabilitation side. Cause it's, it's starting to real have a, a, a cost to society. And I think a lot of people have started to see that. Yeah. And I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot of from, from local officials and I hear it a lot from like the people at like local capacities. You know, I had a, a show with, uh, Kevin Kabeski, who was running for sheriff in Arizona, and he talked about this where a lot of people are realizing that we are incarcerating too many people for all the wrong reasons, for nonviolent crimes and uh, victimless crimes. And it really hurts the, the economy in a way where, again, if these people come out of jail, you know, great. The jail maybe produces, prisons probably produce a pretty good economy. But once they come out, the only way we can continue it is if we put them back in and it doesn't progress to uh, increasing economy. So if we could get these people out of jails, you know, for these victimless crimes and nonviolent crimes, give them these opportunities to start working again after they've done their their time and not put new people in for the same uh, victimless crimes and, and nonviolent crimes that we could probably see a better economy locally. And I do see a lot of people realizing, oh, wow, yeah, you know, the libertarian idea of less government and more working um, together as a community to get things done is there. But why isn't the libertarian party, per se, is taking advantage of that realization that a lot of these local communities have and supporting more uh, to get more local official officials into office. We're so focused on the presidential uh, uh, office that it's really not going to make any change. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things is, you know, we'll run candidates for, like you said, uh, some of this high office, which we know there's no snowball's chance in hell we're going to win. But if you look at some of these, these offices like in Tennessee, I think, and I can't remember exactly, so if I misquote this and somebody that's in Tennessee Libertarian Party takes me to task for it, I don't remember <laughs> the exact number. But I think it's like somewhere between 45 and maybe 50 counties are nonpartisan local races. And give an example, there are some counties that if you look at voter turnout and uh, for the local races, you can get elected by if you get 100 votes. So if you take that into account and say, okay, if you went out and if you're in a district that has, like say Trousdale County, I think each of our districts has about 600 to 700 people. If you go out and knock on those doors, you can make at least two rounds on that. And then if you can get 100 people to vote for you, you're probably going to win. And we have 10 districts with two commissioners for each district. So all you got to do is get in the top two. I think a lot of places are like that if they look at it look at some of these local races to see you know really analyze it what's the voter turnout what kind of votes are you going to need to win what's the sentiment of the community how do they feel about these things just go out there and talk you know, talk to people before you decide to run kind of see how they're feeling about things really get a lay of the land and then look at those races that are winnable those things that are attainable and let's focus on those and build it up from there instead of going trying to shoot the moon and then failing and going, oh, well, and then taking our ball and going home and crying about it. We got to look at these these local races and which I think I've, I have. I know the, the Tennessee Libertarian Party is really starting to get behind that and look at these local races and get together an effort to support the local candidates. And I think 
from what I've seen generally, and I, I can't tell you, I pay attention every day to what the, the LP is doing, the national LP, but it seems like they've, they've got that same sentiment. Let's get people elected in these local races uh, across the country and then build a great build kind of, I don't want to say grassroots, but a kind of a deeper bench. If you want to use a sports analogy, kind of build a deeper bench and get these, these people in office and let people see how we would govern or how we would, uh, put into place our ideas and then you know let them decide from there you know to look for higher office when they've got more of a name and people have more uh familiarity with what we would want to do or what these these people's ideas are so I, I do think that's the way to go uh and i think i would be living proof of it uh but again that's for each each county and uh, each individual that is considering running that's for them to look at but i do think that could be a, a winning strategy I just, I think it would be a lot easier for the LP and the national LP to just really focus on these small communities. Uh, And if we're not being seen nationally as, oh, we're putting somebody up for a a president uh, candidate or, you know, we're not doing as well, they should find the victories in these small communities and use them as a, a narrative and later on really focus on the higher offices. Uh, it's just my kind of thought to it, uh, you know, building that foundation first. We don't have a foundation. We don't have that many examples. You're a great example, but we need a lot more, I think, for for people that really want to elect a governor or elect a president or elect a, a congressman into uh, office as far as libertarians go. So, Yeah, uh, yeah, I think, you know, like I said, I agree with that that strategy and uh, the libertarian party of Tennessee. I know that's really a route they're taking. They're putting together a committee to really do candidate support and see how we can get some of these more local people elected and focus on those races that are nonpartisan or, or very winnable. And even looked at uh, in Tennessee, we've got this weird thing that you can have a county libertarian party recognized if you meet certain requirements and it actually be easier to keep that, recognition through the next election than it is on the state level because we have very restrictive budget i mean ballot access statute in tennessee as far as the number that be required to be recognized as a statewide party but we we've also been told you could have this to where you could be recognized in a specific legislative district so it's this weird kind of thing but i think if you would focus on those and get some of these local races look at some of these county parties which they are working on getting these county parties in place and really focus on those. And like I said, build it up. It's not going to be something that's going to happen overnight. You're not going to go from, we had a mayor elected two years ago that now we're going to have somebody who has a real good shot at winning governor. That's not going to happen. Right. But you got to take those wins where you can and really focus on those, those winnable races. And I think if they do that, I think you'll see a lot more people getting elected. Just got to realize that, yeah, you've got to do your research, uh, map out how you're going to campaign, have, have your strategy in place and have that good feeling for the receptiveness of the community. And I think you will see a lot more wins. Yeah, definitely. Do you mind telling us who, if anyone, you would like to see as president as far as uh, the candidates that we are putting up in the Libertarian Party? I'm not going to be presumptuous enough to tell anybody how they feel about that. I mean, I've been. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Do you want to give us a plug in? Bring some tourists after this uh, pandemic is over, over to uh, Trousdale. Uh, the, the county seat, or which would have been the county seat, is Hartsville. We are 
uh, one of the smallest. We are the smallest county in terms of land size in Tennessee. We're sixth smallest in terms of population. We're located right on the Cumberland River. Actually, the world wildlife record was caught in Trousdale County. Uh, so we have access to the Cumberland River. We have good fishing. Uh, we have uh, it's very scenic, having hills and mountains and that kind of thing. Very historic community. So look us up on a map. Go to trousdalecountytn.gov. You can find some more information there. That's our new website. Just It's only been online for about three weeks now. Or you can just do a general search for Hartsville, Tennessee and kind of see some of the history we have. And if you want to stop by and go to 328 Broadway and ask for the mayor's office once all this is over because we're close to the public right now. But stop by and see see me if I'm there. If My door is always open. People walk in all the time. So just walk in and ask to speak to the mayor and I'll talk to you and answer any questions you've got. And if you're looking to locate a business there, we also can help you in that respect. So Again, I just really want to th thank you for having me on and giving me the opportunity to pitch my community and talk about my community because I'm really proud of it. And uh, um, so, thank you very much. I hope I've I hope it's been somewhat enlightening and not too disappointing to anybody that was listening. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I think it's very interesting for a lot of people to hear what it's like to have a, a libertarian in office. We don't see that many. Uh, we don't have that many wins, but when we do, we want to hear about it and see how it's going and see if you know it's worth. Uh, fighting for and I think you're a perfect example of that of why we should fight for these um, for these offices these local offices so and you know I, I greatly appreciate having you on for you accepting my invitation and it's been an honor oh well I don't know how big an honor it was but I appreciate you having me on uh, uh, to real you know a lot of people when you think you're elected a mayor and they think it's a real big deal and I'll give you kind of I don't make up too much of your time, but uh, one of the first things I did after I got elected mayor, I went to a convention in Chattanooga, and I don't stay at the convention sites because I don't want to use that much of my travel budget, so I stay at like Red Roof Inn or something that I can find fairly cheap. And I went into this one, and I had my form there. It's my tax-exempt form, and I gave it to the, the young lady behind the counter, and she looked at it and asked me, you know, well, what office do I hold? And I told her I'm the county mayor, and she was just like, well, I've never met a county mayor before, and my response is glamorous, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's it's not awesome. that big a deal. I don't, I don't see it as that big a deal. It's just something you come in, you do, and then when it's over, I'll go do something else. So, but uh, it, it is somewhat overwhelming when you think about it. And to hear you say I might be one of the, the highest elected ones in in the country, that just seems unreal when you think about that, it right? Is, it's just kind of hard to really wrap your mind around. It's like, oh, that, that doesn't seem right. Or, really? Me? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I, I've done my research. I, I really think that you're the highest elected uh, uh, libertarian. So it, I would probably wear that uh, that badge with a lot of honor. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, I, I, I thank you for having me on, giving me the opportunity to kind of voice my ideas a little bit and as I said I hope I didn't ramble on too much and I hope some nope. people found it enlightening and if not at least they can give them something to be upset about tell me how I'm doing it wrong <laughs> there you go all right thank you so much Stephen all right thank you <laughs>